hey, I don't normally record reaction episodes or topical episodes, but at the time of recording, it's a few days since the Oscar ceremony. And obviously there was, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll know there was one big event that happened uh, was at the ceremony that was quite polarising. And I think it struck a lot of nerves. It was much discussed uh, the day after. Uh, and I felt I don't normally sort of make episodes that responds to the news but I felt as a as a kind of bellwether in the writing community who a lot of people look to for moral guidance it was important that I reacted to it so that other people know how they should react to it really I know it's caused a lot of conflict and uh, some different takes I think because it struck a nerve so that's what today's episode is going to be about my giving my thoughts so you know how you should respond and what you should say when someone asks you about it you want to do that's your dream project oh my god my book of course yeah well i don't want to give too much away because i i'm very superstitious superstitious so i don't i don't like to speak of things before they're finished um but it's um so far a masterpiece if i do say so myself so i hope that is it fiction is it a memoir what is no it? it's um you know it was going it was like a memoir at first but now it's just like my first book you know okay so yeah that'll be coming out soon Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end, I get authors on the show to talk to them about their works and how they write books and how they make stories and why they should bother. I sometimes talk about readers' first pages. I give feedback. I say how I would make those pages a little bit better if I were God and uh, somehow given the interventionist portfolio of editing first pages of manuscripts. I, uh, maybe a demigod in that case. And sometimes it's just me with a microphone talking about writing and life and my mental health comes up quite a lot, which is fine. I want to normalise talking about mental health. My, Tim Clare's mental health in particular. That's why I think, why isn't more of the conversation around Tim Clare's mental health? Tim Clare Awareness Week. Not even, just, just more people should be awareness, aware. Hello. So I'm going to do a writing ramble episode. You, if, if you heard that and you thought, well, I should have caught that in the edit. There's going to be no editing today. It's just me talking to you. Hi, hope you're well. I just wanted to record an episode. I've not really been keeping up with the show because I spent the last two weeks recording the audiobook for my new book, Coward. Why we get anxious and what we can do about it. That's going to be my new book on anxiety and panic attacks and my quest uh, to try and get better. I wrote a book about it. I, as you may have heard from previous episodes uh you know had an anxiety disorder was diagnosed with multiple anxiety disorders and i was having panic attacks every week and sometimes multiple ones a day it's really really rough and i've become a dad and i decided i wanted to get better and i thought because the you know the story actually starts with this podcast really i, I i'd had a few 
psychologists and neuroscientists on the show. And I was like, I'm pretty surprised they responded to me when I asked them to come on. And I was like, if I could get access to these people, is there any way I could sort of exploit it for my own personal gain? You know, rather than trying to change the system so there's equal access to to mental health facilities and resources for everyone across the world so we can get dissemination and implementation in places that need it, in countries where they don't have... I was just like, how can I just use my contacts and my ability to write emails so that just I benefit? And then I can sell what I found out in book format so that other people willing to pay that can enrich me. And yeah, so it wasn't quite that cynical, but um, I just thought, look, I, in all seriousness, I thought I want to, I could, maybe these people will speak to me. And there seemed to be all these articles about people defeating anxiety and stuff like that. And, or, or new treatments for dealing with anxiety, brand new high tech to get treatments. And I was just like, what if I just wrote to the researchers mentioned in these articles and asked them to explain? Like, surely someone out there knows the truth. Like, obviously, I've read lots of pop psych books, but I was like, these are written by celebrities or people who haven't really, you know, are trying to sell a certain line. They're not people who are reading the research because there's no footnotes in these books. They're not actually looking up studies. They're just pushing a kind of... But but, but then we must know. We can, like, see inside the human brain. Surely, you know, can can I get brain surgery? I've read bits and pieces... And so I thought, surely, surely there's something out there. I know that there are people smarter than me out there who I could get access to if I... Apparently, like, academics just had no boundaries and would just always respond to my emails. So I just thought, well, why don't I use my lack of boundaries and my lack of embarrassment, or at least my willingness to feel embarrassed to get stuff that I wanted to approach these people. And that's what the book's about, me going out meeting the world's experts on anxiety, learning about the latest science, reading over a thousand papers on anxiety across multiple disciplines, and then me trying all the stuff out. And it's about what happened. And I've been recording the audiobook of that, which is this voice that you're hearing now, reading it out, was a new experience for me. Obviously, I don't habitually record the same audiobook, but I've never recorded an audiobook before. But because it's all first person, because the story is all about me, they were like, I think it would work best if you were saying it. I don't don't want a, a voice actor saying, I wouldn't want to force a voice actor to say any of the things that I wrote down. <laughs> I really wouldn't. So we recorded it and it was, I mean, I was going to say it was hard work, like it was work. But, you know, it wasn't unpleasant work. It was gruelling. I was knackered afterwards. I got COVID during it. So maybe some of that tiredness was just post-viral fatigue. But we've recorded it all. It's all done and dusted and off being edited down into the final thing. And you can pre-order it. Now, if you go onto Audible or other sites that have uh audiobook links and i'll put links in the show notes of today's episode so you if you don't want to go and google for it you can just look at click on one of them and you can pre-order the audiobook version 
of the book or if you've got a subscription to audible you can just use you want to use your credits to get it when it comes out on the same time as a, as the physical book as far as i understand uh and the same time as the ebook which is may the 5th of this year so coming up to a month away goodness well when you're listening to this i mean it may already be out I'll also put links in the show notes if you are based actually I think anywhere in the world where you can get post to you can um, pre-order via uh, the shop Storysmith and I'm going to go there and sign all their pre-ordered copies so if you want to pre-order through them they're a really lovely indie bookstore you'll money will be going to an independent bookstore if you email them you can get them to post outside the UK and I will sign the copy um that's it really i would love it if you enjoy the show and if you enjoy me talking i'm going to get on today's you know to what today's episode is about uh which is going to be partly on this subject a little bit but um i just want to say you know if you, if you enjoy the show and you like it you can go on my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire drop me a few beans which helps to keep the like lights on thank you very very much for that but if you like what I do, if you want to help me, if you want to support my career and if you'd be interested in hearing me talk about, you know, write or write about um, my own experiences as a human being dealing with anxiety and panic and the science of anxiety and panic and, and, and the things that I did to try and get over that and the journey I went on, please go and pre-order Coward. I know writers talk about pre-ordering books as being most awesome way you could support them i've not done like a big campaign this time but um if you'd like a copy i would i would love that i would love for you to pick up a copy and um have a look at it and uh let me know what you think and if you pre-order it then it just helps me out and um if you do it once via one of my links then you'll be supporting my great bookshop as well so um the little uh audio clip that i played was of julia fox who uh was at the oscars and is kind of talked about largely as at the moment as the ex of kanye west of course she's a person in her own right and um i don't mean to be snarky about her really uh for, to start things off i'm not this isn't going to be a dunking on a hollywood person uh at all or maybe a tiny bit obviously like people shared that clip uh because they thought it was funny because she described the book she's working on as a masterpiece and i want to talk about i want to talk about like talking right how we talk about our works in progress and how we talk about the art we create in general right like how we talk about how we relate to the work we make and what the social codes are around that because what the, the sense i got right was like that the joke is I, I know she's got a little bit of vocal fry and so that kind of valley girl accent is often funny in itself uh because i know right 
but it's 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 seen as funny but i think i think already there's i mean and we can get into the discourse around it it's like oh is it you know would we would is it is it misogyny that we're taking the mickey out of her no i think that when sean penn was writing a book people beforehand said they thought it would be shit and then it came out and he got absolutely annihilated in reviews with people saying it was shit so i i do think that we're fairly equal opportunities when it comes to dunking on hollywood celebrities who try to write books and they turn out to be not very good before and after but i I felt like the main focus really was that she said she was asked about the project and she said and and it's not even finished and she said i'm superstitious about talking about it but it's a masterpiece if i do say so myself so so there was definitely uh awareness there that saying that your own describing your own work as a masterpiece is not the done thing but she did so anyway i'm not going to litigate whether was she good or bad is is, is she an idiot or, or or was she actually was it actually super based to say that your work is a masterpiece i i don't, I don't want to talk about that except that i think that she's a a human being um and i i'm glad that she's if she sincerely likes what she's writing and she's happy about it and that wasn't coming out that wasn't coming out of a place of insecurity but she just really is like writing it and enjoying it and she wakes up and she goes to sit down to write her book and she just feels like wow i'm loving this this feels great and it's kind of like it's 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 escaping from under me. It's turning into things I didn't expect. God, this it, this is, feels like a masterpiece. It feels like it's flowing from. If she's enjoying that, like I'm genuinely and without irony or snark or anything, really happy for her. You know, I hope that she enjoys that. And and if any writers, you know, saw that interview and felt a little bit of what's sometimes called secondhand embarrassment, or what the kids are calling cringe i mean we called it cringe as well 25 years ago so it's not a new word is it but we used to call it cringy we we, we would we would at least adjective 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 adjectify i'm turning adjectify i'm turning adjective into a noun a verb sorry that's we would at least use the adject, adjectival form of cringe that's the only con- uh, uh, concession the kids today have made to rebellion is to slightly shorten it to cringe but like the idea that something's cringe to begin with right is 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 a form of social control and go oh that's cringe well what do we mean what is cringing well cringing is a a flinch response right when you cringe you you duck in you retract like a turtle it's a, an in, it's an instinctive response uh, to protect yourself from harm and when we cringe we're it's in the kind of fight flight or f- fight flight or freeze response uh, so uh, wonderfully documented by uh, Walter Cannon in the 1910s the the, 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 the the idea that you cringe is that you feel a threat and you retract from it and when we, because we're social animals, look, I am getting into cod 
Evo, Evo Psych here. Forgive me. Forgive me. Don't, 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 don't kick me out of the cool progressive scientists clubs club, right? But like, I am using a bit of Cod Evo Psych here. But like, because we are social creatures, uh, that flinch from that retraction, that cringing, that that feeling of threat in this case social threat that you that you try and hide from is contagious you can see someone else doing it and you cringe yourself because there's a sense of you you feel empathy but also because fear is contagious so when one creature gets scared the others get a little shot of adrenaline and cortisol it makes them more alert they're more likely to cast around and spot the threat and run or freeze or fight back um and that's what we're getting that's why crit cringy secondhand embarrassment what it really is is a is a contagious fear response because we're seeing someone do something that we think might lead to loss of social status shame stigma and we want to do it our, and we instinctively do it ourselves because we think and and, and then and then the next point of the oh, that's cringe is to ostracize that person to kind of cut them off from our part of the group so that we don't suffer the social consequences of the shame the misstep the stigmatization uh, that they they're going to we don't suffer the same loss of face and status we kind of ritually exclude them and by excluding them we sort of protect our own group that's that's my like cod based on kind of nothing evo psych take on it right is that is that that's what's going on and you don't you, you know you don't it's not the dumb thing to say oh how's your book going oh it's like i think i could probably get away with I just maybe it's I mean of course the thing is that it's because it's the word masterpiece I would hesitate I think I could like forward some books that I'm just trying to think of any book that I would say it's a masterpiece I think I'd head hesitate to like put forward books like you know like 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 say that something like lord of the rings or things fall apart or jane eyre or anna karenina no 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 i i can start that surname so easily but i never know when to stop i would hesitate to call them masterpieces i'd be nervous about it like i wouldn't be worried about saying I think if we were having a debate about what books in the I don't know the Western literary canon or the world or world literature, I'm not well versed enough. You know, like is is Journey to the West a masterpiece? Well, you know, well then we're talking about the collected works of of like you know the monkey fables. Is that a masterpiece? I think if someone said to me, do you want to have like a discussion about whether, you know, any kind of 
book that you often see like brought up it you know is lord of the flies a masterpiece is the great gatsby a masterpiece i wouldn't think someone was stupid or i wouldn't mock them for for going is it a masterpiece for like bringing some of those titles into the discussion and suggesting i think it's worthy of being in the dis i think like that's the highest accolade i could really give any book is to say it's worthy of being in the discussion around masterpieces is you know someone said to me you know do we think like i would they would say well i do i think it's worth discussing as a contender for masterpiece status uh the handmaid's tale right i i wouldn't think i i i feel like that's a reasonable position to go like we can have a discussion around it but if someone said book x is a masterpiece i'd be very hesitant I, I really like Lord of the Rings, and I think in terms of how it um, contributed in the 20th century to English myth and our conceptions of storytelling and breadth of world, I think it had, like, it was hugely influential. It, I, I think it's a great story that I enjoy. I enjoy the story. I don't think I would really... I mm, Is it a masterpiece? I don't know what that what do you mean so for Julia Fox to just be on the red carpet and a book she hasn't finished but it's just kind of like bumbling through by her own admission you know she's saying oh, it's turning into something she goes well it's a masterpiece it's not finished and she's saying it's a masterpiece I get that that's surprising right oh it, but but maybe she's just maybe that's just her vocabulary is is hyperbole a little bit because if someone said to me if, I, if a friend said, I said, how's your book going? And they said, oh, it's fucking great. You know, they just grinned and said, it's, oh, it's gut. I'm having such a time. Oh, it just, it's just going so well. I wouldn't think, well, you think really highly of yourself. I'd be, I'd be like excited with them. You know, I'd be like, oh, oh, to be there. And, and yeah, sure. At the end of the process, it might not be the kind of book that I, even like you know but i don't see that my tastes and the books that i like are the be all and end all this would be a very 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 dull show indeed i mean it might be anyway but it would be more so a very thin cultural gruel indeed if the only guests i had on were people whose entire oeuvre every single book they'd ever written was in my top 50 books of all time some stuff I like, sometimes some stuff just isn't for me. I don't see <laughs> the, the tiny little patch of ground that represents, you know, Tim Clareville and my taste is, is, is the beginning and the end of literature. That would be so miserable, right? And I'm really excited and I love hearing people be passionate and excited about their work. And... I've said it on the show before, but I really, really, really have a thing against the use in writing of when we talk about something being indulgent or self-indulgent. It makes me really sad because the Im 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 implication is that to write something for yourself that hits a bunch of marks that you that, that you wanted is shameful masturbatory 
and shows that you're a rampant selfish egotist. I don't believe that at all. It's why, look, I, I, I think Morrissey has made a bunch of statements that come off as incredibly bigoted and racist. He seems like a... I, I wanted for so long, and, you know, I, I quite like his stuff, but I've never been like a Morrissey fan. I enjoy his music when I've listened to it. I think it's good, but I don't, I'm not like a diehard Smiths or Morrissey fan. Um, but I always felt like maybe some of his sort of grumpiness, I imagined, you know, having not really looked into the history of his statements, that maybe he was a little bit sort of introverted maybe and maybe he was a bit shy or maybe he was a bit unhappy sometimes and you know that he just seemed sometimes to just not be great at sort of being a, a, a sort of a charmer being a charming man if you will Morrissey fans know what I'm talking about but he you know that's that was my charitable interpretation and then you know he said a bunch of stuff and then it turned out he'd been saying stuff for ages that I was just like oh no you just seem like you're being misanthropic and you're sort of cut off from your own humanity and you're just being mean and unpleasant and I don't like that but when his book came out right list of the lost I was asked by I think it was ironically the it's not that ironic but it's just a similar name but the, by the magazine the list to write a to write a little do a little exercise in talking about Morrissey's first page of the list of the lost his novel that he'd asked penguin to print in a penguin classics jacket which is interesting and it like it wasn't it was a pretty bad first page but one thing i sort of didn't want to say when i was giving feedback on it not tomorrow it was too late morrissey didn't ask me for this but just the magazine they, they i think they were hoping i was gonna do like a funny sort of dunking on it but and it, it's a bad first page on multiple levels. And actually, it it made me think, and I did a whole comparison, the blog's still up if you ever want to read it, but um, I ended up comparing his work to the work of a uh, Amanda Ross McKitterick, who was, uh, you know, it, uh, one, you know, in the first half of the 20th century was often held up as the worst author and poet who'd ever lived and that you know her poetry being considered to be on a par with William McGonagall's in terms of dreadfulness uh, and and I felt like Morrissey had something of the same edge to him had a, lots of uncanny stylistic similarities actually but Amanda McKittrick Ross I think was also a a working class Irish woman whose work was read out by the Inklings, you know, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and Neville Coghill. They would get each other as a kind of par parlour game to read parts of her work and you had to not laugh as you read it. Uh, and I think there was an... Uh, I think, you know, her husband uh, paid for her first book to be published, which I think is really nice. And I think she was trying her best to do to write in ways she cared about and I think there's something slightly off about lots of kind of like wealthy middle-class men sort of scoffing at what she was doing I mean she was you know she she wrote and she could give as good as she got she wrote sort of very 
sort of pungent attacks on people she saw as her critics and does seem to have sort of often borne grudges and written scathing st- satirical poems about people so i think you know she she didn't doesn't need me to sort of she wasn't like some delicate flower that needs me to stand up for her but it's just that sneering edge to it and i think even sort of with morrissey i i didn't ever want to talk about his work as if it was inherently proved that he was an asshole that you that being an asshole is something that you can kind of read off a page being arrogant is something that you can read off the text i don't think that's necessarily true at all i think he might independently have proved himself to be that but i don't think that's what comes off when someone writes something that's very sort of dense and lyrical and has all these metaphors and run-on sentences i i i, I don't think that's arrogant and i i think it's self-indulgent but i don't think self-indulgence is a moral failing i think actually what he was trying to do would be my most charitable read of it or certainly one that in the absence of other sort of definitive proofs you have to consider is that he was trying to write something interesting you know he he was trying to give value to every line he was trying to write something not just in the usual mode not in the usual mold he was trying to write something that was rewarding and surprising on every line and engaged and pushed the reader and gave them value sentence by sentence now he failed utterly on every one of those charges you know it's just it's just shit like it's really bad but a lot of writers just don't ever you, you would never see that because they would never attempt it they would never bother to try and give the author the reader that kind of gift they wouldn't worry about like how am i going to get this character they wouldn't worry that get moving a character across the room uh was like a lost opportunity to say it in an interesting way to observe something to make to attempt some kind of lyricism it's a metaphor they wouldn't they would just go well it doesn't matter i'm getting them across the room the language is, is is doing what it needs to and i don't think it's arrogant i don't think it shows selfishness and i don't think it makes you an asshole to try and do all those things i just think he failed but and then he is in independently an asshole and possibly if you've been an asshole and racist for large parts of your life and then people read your work um you maybe shouldn't be surprised that they don't read your work with the most charitable interpretation what i guess i'm saying is like it sounds i know like you're probably thinking this is just such an odd position to take tim that you would be defending a sort of hollywood celebrity as don't call them vapid well i'm just saying that that response isn't in itself vapid I don't think it's in itself arrogant and I would want to ask you why you think I think it's kind of irrelevant really what that who you know that person's moral standing but I just want to ask why we're so uncomfortable 
about loving our work. Why? Like, I look, when I, the thing is, I cannot imagine ever saying anything coherent about a work in progress. I was asked a couple of days ago by a member of the family about my new book. The one about, I'm working on a book about tabletop games. And I said, oh, what's it about? And I just, I can't tell you. And I tried to write about it on Twitter as well. I tried to sort of say what I was writing. And I looked back at it and I was like, what's that? I said, it's about wonderful things. It's about yearning. It's about not being able to express yourself. It's, I mean, what? That's not a thing, Tim. Give us a one word. What's the book about? Well, it's kind of about, and then and then I can say, I go, well, I'm kind of writing a book about tabletop games and, and how they bring people together. But it's also about my history of playing games and why I love them and why I've felt a bit awkward as an adult playing them, sometimes a bit embarrassed or ashamed. And I wanted to dig into that and I wanted to speak to people all around the world. I was interested in the different people who play games, you know, cafe culture, the people playing dominoes or mahjong in different countries outdoors or people playing chess in the park i was fascinated by that and the groups that get together i think we don't and also after the pandemic like we haven't been together and then people we're still in the pandemic but people physically being together and why that's important and why that was important to me and why sometimes aspects of socializing have been difficult for me and through writing the book I've I went and got assessed and diagnosed with autism and I was told by the psychologist who assessed me Tim you are the most fantastically autistic person I have ever assessed now obviously she sort of didn't wasn't dealing with sort of was tending to deal with people who you know were coming to her but not sure so maybe not sort of the more the less ambiguous cases maybe didn't come to her but um still and, and so the book's all about that but I don't know how to explain that and I feel when I am explaining to someone that I'm suddenly got the spotlight on me I'm in the dragon's den I'm another like horrible program that's about people sort of begging for acceptance from just like a bunch of fucking randos with capital please accept me and they get to sit back and stroke their chins and I, I feel like that every time I talk about any of my work I feel like I'm going please don't lose interest I don't know what I'm writing about if I knew what I was writing about I wouldn't have to write it would I if I knew exactly what I thought about tabletop games i just tell you oh, i think they're kind of cool you probably should you know sort of not play them like every day like you've got to have some balance in your life um but i think you know like any kind of entertainment thing just kind of enjoy them and they're quite fun that would be what a shit book the fact is i don't know and the fact is sometimes when i touch you do you want to hear it okay like sometimes when i it, it like it's calming to, it calms me to hold cards and to sleeve them in there's like the dragon sleeve 
uh, card sleeves. So they're like protective plastic sheaths that you put cards in. I know it immediately sounds sexual and they've got like an effect on the back. They're made of plastic, but you know, like the kind of pebbled leather you get in on like handbags. It's kind of like that, but um, a kind of matte finish with a kind of slight friction to it that you have on the back of these sleeves. I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's polyurethane, but whatever it is, like there's this plastic back to it. And they shuffle really nicely when you've sleeved them on. I, I get so excited opening a box with game components. Like the, 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 the latest games I've been reviewing, that I do write reviews in uh, tabletop gaming magazine if you ever want to read it. Like I've normally got a few reviews every issue. Some of them are online. But the latest games I've been op opening for them, I like literally opened the box and like cried out in sort of surprise and admiration at the at the components. I I sometimes want to tear up when I'm like holding game components. I I, I want to dance around with excitement at how much I love games and how much I enjoy just the tactile feel of a game like Santorini where you are Greek gods in a competing in a game of skill on the kind of like caldera of Santorini in the is it Aegean Sea or Aegean Sea I never know how to pronounce that um, that's one of the things about recording an audiobook is you get ca called up on you you find out every single word you don't know how to pronounce I, so many words I don't know how to pronounce but like Santorini I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it go on like Instagram and search for Santorini the the place and you see these sort of whitewashed buildings and the beautiful blue dome beautiful blue domes and uh, that's all in the game and it's just like a little stacking game but it delights me and I can tell you this because this is my podcast and there's no one here to interrupt me. But what you have to understand is I've gone my whole life shutting up about these things because I know I bore the hell out of people talking about them. Because I know that the things I care about are not what most people care about. And I know I'm not very good at the back and forth of conversation and I know that sometimes the only way I can connect with people you know like my wife I, I try to be you know have a normal conversation and I can but often more often than not when she comes in I just want to rush up to her and monologue at her and tell her things and sometimes they're things I've already told her that I've forgotten I've told her and sometimes they're things that I can't really make make sense. You know, they come out of my head, but they come out in pieces or the wrong way round. And I'm sort of telling her half a story that she doesn't have context for. And often I'm just telling her about something to do with board games or a paper I've read. And it's hard. As a grown-up, I've learned to shut up about the things I care about. Like, I'm sitting here recording this wearing a Super Mario Brothers t-shirt. I was so I was bullied at school for liking Super Mario and I used to wear Super Mario t-shirts when I was at school and I had a Super Mario socks and I had a Super Mario <laughs> jacket and I had a Super Mario bag and I had a Super Mario wallet and I stopped because I knew people didn't like it and they would tease me 
and I'm 41 now and I'm I, I'm not consciously doing it I just like uh, to have Mario stuff around me and I was in bed with my sitting up in bed with my daughter yesterday playing Mario Touch on the phone and it's nice it's a kind of point of connection between us but it's hard you know to write about stuff that you care about because I people go oh it's great Tim that you can write about your mental health and stuff that's really like amazing that you can be so open I don't give a shit about that the, the thing that I'm scared you know people praise you for, for talking openly about your mental health do you know what they don't praise you for talking openly about fucking feet lists and feet trees in Pathfinder not by feet I don't mean human feet I mean feats as in accomplishments as in ways that you can level up your character when playing pathfinder this sort of like offshoot of dungeons and dragons i have you know i have got friends i can talk to about that but like most of the time people like me seem and often are in uh, impaired in our ability to imagine that people we're talking to could be anything but enthralled by the stuff that matters to us and to be honest I really struggle to explain why I care about stuff and what I think about it and when I'm working on a book it's just in my head and I can't get it out like I've been doing loads of research playing different games learning about stuff and whenever someone asks me in the way that they were talking to Julia Fox in a way I wish I had her grace to just go it's fucking shit hot and it is changing and I'm so pleased Because I feel desperate. I feel embarrassed. I want to end the conversation. But also, I'm bursting with the desire to talk about it. I, de I, I desperately want to say, God, do you want to talk about what I'd love to talk about, what I've been doing and all the people I've been talking to. But I also don't know what I think. And I, I if I ever do that, afterwards I get like this hangover where I feel like I've been an asshole and talked about myself, which I have. because I monologue now all of this now I could you know one thing about like a, a diagnosis of autism is I think like I've seen this with a lot of people who've had diagnosis is you start tapping the neurodivergent side and go well you actually can't call me an asshole now because m monologuing and hyperfocus are a symptom of oh you think I actually have poor empathy and not very good at turn-taking conversations actually that's uh you're actually being pretty ableist because that's maybe it's the neurotypical world who is wrong at not wanting to talk about the super mario brothers wiki like i <laughs> like even like when i started when i was told that i when i got my diagnosis and i cried and actually the psychologist even like teared up a bit but um even then i was like i was thinking about myself in terms of super mario in terms of the super mario rpg plot and i was like ah oh, this is a bit i don't want to give you any spoilers for it in case you're planning to play it one day but i was like oh this is a bit like because he didn't know his background and then he found out and a lot of stuff that had been happening to him all his life made sense oh uh 
that's why he was different from his brothers and sisters and of course like there's this whole like self mythologizing that goes around diagnoses and creating identities for ourselves that i'm sort of really super skeptical of and i think we have to be careful around because just because if something has huge explanatory power i think that's a good time to apply skepticism just to make sure it might have huge explanatory power and be true but we just gotta be careful what i'm saying is like i can really 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 empathize with the dilemma you're put in when someone asks about your work in progress I certainly, I mean, this is damning with faint praise, but I certainly wouldn't have hand handled it any better. And I hope that we can just be more gracious with each other and that we can normalise, if you don't mind my using that absolutely grotesque discourse verb, I hope we can normalise accepting when someone likes what they're writing. If you don't, great like that's very normal but if you are having a fucking time if you are jazzed to your nuts with just joy at what you're writing if it is flowing out of you and you're like yes this is it this is the juice like i just god themself is is is, is flowing through my fingers and this is going to be the greatest thing that was ever written. Like, like, fair, look, heads up, it probably won't be. But it might be great. But it might be great. It just probably won't be the best thing that's ever been written. You'll probably over time recognise its strengths and its weaknesses in a bit more of a nuanced way. But like, we should definitely normalise just feeling jazzed about your work rather than playing this fucking aristocratic etiquette game of doing oneself down continually as if that's the that's just a status game it's so silly it's so silly and it's so silly to sort of roll our eyes as if it's incredibly gauche to like your work explain to me why now look i can tell you now when you write to you know if you send some work to a, an agent or something you don't have to gloss it with, and it's a masterpiece. You are not a credible advocate for your own work in any way. Uh, and that doesn't add information. Show, don't tell, by all means. Like, I think it's good to understand that, like, if I say, uh, if you know, if you're asked about your book, even if it's published, and you go, it's a masterpiece, cool, I'm glad that you like it, but that hasn't told me what it's about. Like, you're not giving me stuff that I can use. Well, I, I, I'm much more likely to read something because you say, and it's about pirates. It's about... It's about gay space pirates. Awesome. On board. It's about... Uh, three teenage uh, second-generation Iraqi immigrants to the UK who uncover a map to an ancient magical druidic trove and they go and have a kind of indiana jones style adventure in the in in these ancient caverns from uh, england's ancient history find some magical shit and then they dig it up and they nick it become rich and they 
and one of them like sends it back to their professor uncle who lives in Baghdad and like a bunch of English heritage is now kept and displayed in Baghdad. That would be rad, right? If you tell me that, you don't tell me it's a masterpiece. Just tell me what happens. I'll be like, fuck yes. Yes, in. You don't have to say it's good. Who cares? Like, it might be, it might not be. I'll decide that when I read it. But like, it's you're just not a credible advocate for your work. And I just don't care what your opinion is irrelevant to me. And to a certain extent, a neutral critic's opinion is only tangentially it's less it's less interesting to me than what a film's or a book's about you know i just want to get to it i want to be able to make my own decision that's why you know when i even when i write board game reviews right i don't just go this game is great you know i might do a line about that but who cares i want to go like what what is the game attempting to do and does it pay off on that masterpiece or no is a just that's that's at best a tiny garnish on on what we're talking about so i I guess what i'm saying is i i i totally respect and want people to own loving their work if they're loving it hating their work if they're hating it and feeling that we can be honest about how we're feeling about our work in any given moment knowing that those feelings may shift at some point in the future at the moment i'm loving it or at the moment i just it just feels shit um owning those feelings normalizing it and not making it a sort of test of character how someone talks about their own work and you know if they say it's kind of a was a memoir but now it's just a book yeah loads of there's loads of there's loads of books that i've loved that aren't quite memoir that aren't quite a novel that aren't quite non-fiction or essays they're kind of all sorts of things in between and they kind of move between they, they defy easy classification within a genre and some stuff i love gets like bang in the center of a genre and just gives you all the juice of that genre and you're like yes this is awesome all of that's fine right all of that's fine but the idea that that's how you you can then judge someone based on that and that they oh you answered wrongly you answered you made a mistake and now you've revealed yourself to not be part of of the gang because we have a set of norms about how you respond to this question and you violated it look this person isn't an author an author would say that their work is a load of toss well why why not love it i mean it like sorry if you're asking me do I think Julia Fox's book will be good? No, I think my guess, if I had to put money on it, I think it would be Bobbins. I think it would be shite. Um, but she still doesn't make her a bad person. She may well be a lovely, lovely person. You're allowed to write shit stuff. And if she's making money off it, good for her. Like, I, I, I maybe think she might be slightly impaired in her ability to assess her own work. Uh, don't care. It doesn't make her a bad person. She's probably just wrong fine i've been wrong there's some books that i love that are probably absolute garbage it's fine loads of people hate my stuff as well can't stand it i think i'm completely wasting their time writing it it just doesn't make me self-indulgent just means that there's a mismatch between what i wrote and what they wanted to read fine and and i may have failed in my own goals as well that's fine as well you know like I, i just think we can be I don't, and I don't know how to talk about a work in progress, except that I wish that we had more p- 
people that we could just chat to while we're working on it. I, I think writers were often pressured into being people and shop windows at the same time. And I'm, I, you know, and maybe that's a pressure that we put on ourselves, but like, I, I feel like I can't keep talk, talking about my work as if I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't, you know, that's why I'm so glad when other people read the work and they give a quote saying that they liked it. Cause I'm just like, I can't, I, and you seem to know what it's about. I didn't, and that's not me being modest. People have said like feedback for the, uh, for cowards, um, you know, the, 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 the quotations are like, call it funny. I think about three or four of the pull quotes say funny. And I'm like, I actually wasn't, was I going for funny? I'm not conscious of having gone for funny. I'm glad you found it funny. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. I'm not like, oh, it wasn't meant to be funny, but I don't think I was joking. Am I? <laughs> and this is like, you go, what was I? Yeah, am I? Am I just sort of accidentally amusing? Great. Great. So pleased. But I, you know, it's a shock to me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so focused on the sentence I'm on. I, I never see the big picture. Rarely do anyway. And, and yeah, I just that's that was those are my thoughts, really. It's not a it's not a huge take except to say, you know, if you find what another writer says or does invokes that horrible phrase secondhand embarrassment if you're cringing you're flinching that's coming from a place of fear i think the most productive thing you can do rather than trying to send them to coventry uh, to ostracize them is to ask what that fear is resonating within you and it's normally a fear of embarrassment, shame, and social humiliation. And personally, you may look at me as a sort of, as a human being, as a kind of cautionary tale, <laughs> but I just think life's too short. Let's just fucking get out there and live our lives and other people can cringe and experience secondhand embarrassment and go sharp intake of breath through their teeth and go gosh I'm glad that's not me well yeah it's never going to be you because you're too busy worrying what other people think I hope you're well as I say I'll just repeat look in the show notes and you can um, pre-order my new book Coward I'd love you to, to do that and if you can talk about it on social media as well that always helps it's always a big makes a big difference and I think people sort of underestimate how much a few little posts photographs on Instagram and stuff do for a book's visibility and sales but I just hope you're well um I've been up and down but I'm feeling all right right now thanks for listening take care and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>